Welcome to Voices of Clarity. Together we will learn about kids and mental health from experts within the field. Let's get started. The topic we are going to discuss today is how to make the most of psychiatric care when it's virtual. My name is Gerard Mijon. I'm with the Clarity Child Guidance Center, and we look forward to an engaging conversation with our speaker, Dr. Liz Mary Gonzalez Vega. For those who are not familiar with our organization, Clarity Child Guidance Center is a nonprofit treatment center solely dedicated to helping children 3 to 17 with their mental health. Clarity is located in the San Antonio Medical Center and provides inpatient and outpatient services to several thousand of children every year. Now you can read more about the center at claritycgc.org. This event is purely educational and is by no means an attempt to provide counseling online. Dr. Gonzalez Vega is a child and adolescent psychiatrist who completed her residency and fellowship at UT Health San Antonio. She has been helping Clarity children and teens in inpatient for eight years and serves as medical director since last year. Last but not least, Dr. Gonzalez Vega is also a mother of two young children. She is joining us from our office today uh, on our campus. Dr. Gonzalez Vega, welcome. My first question for you is, what could parents expect with their first appointment with a psychiatrist before COVID? Well, the parents will be calling different psychiatric office and trying to figure out which one will be the best fit for their kid. Usually by the time they get to see psychiatrists, they have most likely going to their primary care physician to answer some questions and some concerns. So um, that process of going in to see the psychiatrist and in the clinic, usually it's pre-COVID, right? It will be an in-person evaluation. Usually it's around one hour to an hour and a half of, of an interview with the two care, the caregivers of the patients, hopefully both um, whoever the caregiver is of the patient and the patient itself. Um, how I like to interview, I will usually start with an interview with the caregiver and the patient in my office, and I talk directly to the kid. Um, so usually we see kids be, before, below 17 years of age, and usually we don't see kids below three years of age. Okay, so we ask why they're here. We get kind of information about their their household and why they think they're coming to see us. Okay, a formal psychiatric interview will consist of talking to the parents and the patient by themselves about the reasons they're coming in. Usually, depression, anxiety symptoms, difficulties with behavior, or other difficulties like. Um, learning disorders, difficulties with aggression or psychosis, right? So we kind of do our interview. We do a mental status exam. We um, evaluate um, orientation of the patient and how they're learning. And we do a full medical evaluation as well, kind of a family history, a past medical history, um, any confounding factors, um, past history of psychiatric um, treatment. And then at the end of the interview, we get everyone together. We talk about the observations, the concerns, and then we discuss what will be the treatment plan. That treatment plan might include therapy, it might include medication, or it might include a, a combination of both. Excellent, thank you. Now, 
how do you recommend, or back then, how would you have recommended parents would should prepare for this first appointment in general? Okay, so usually when the parents decide to, to make an appointment with a psychiatrist, is because there's some concerns about the patient, mood, behavior, or, or, or difficulties academically. Um, so depending on kind of the concern, I recommend the parents to get information of that teachers or the school personnel or the daycare center, if, if that's the, the reason for them to get kind of feedback from other parts of the community where the, pay, the, the kid is involved daily, okay? We also kind of encourage the parents to kind of read a little bit about the psychiatrist they're going to see to see if it will be a good fit. Um, some parents, a, a few of the questions I get, right? How do we know if it's a good fit? Um, that patients and the, uh, and the psychiatrist and the, and, the, and the patient. And sometimes we don't know. Sometimes it takes a little while, like any um, therapeutic approach, that it will be a good fit. So some kids do better with older psychiatrists, some of them do better with younger psychiatrists, and some of them do better with female or male psychiatrists. So it depends. Um, I, I will did say in my eight years of doing outpatient practice, maybe I have one or two patients that it was not a good fit and I have to um, resource out to a different um, colleague. Thank you. And I, I think I, in terms of having worked in this area for a while too, is, is what I've noticed is that the, the documentation for the parent of what is happening with the child uh, you know, is pretty critical so that gives you mm -hmm. the, the best information as possible, right? Yes. So, for example, we always get the kind of that concern of the parent of the patient at home, right? Because that's where usually the, the, the difficulty is. Yeah. But school is a different environment that some kids do better at school and some kids even do worse at school. So kind of having that communication with the teacher or maybe the school counselor will be extremely necessary. Okay. For the psychiatrist to have communication with those entities, we will have a need a release of information for us to be able to talk to, to the school. Okay. So there is a possibility of, of connecting you directly and you mm -hmm. talking directly with the pr proper uh, permission. Yes, and usually how that happens um, in the initial evaluation or any appointment, it, we have some set of questionnaires that we give to the teachers and that will be the best form. So we give it to the, to the parent and then they take it to the teacher. Um, we usually don't communicate through email or phone directly with the teachers unless it's extremely necessary. And if, of course, with the consent of the parental authority. Good. Now, let's bring this to the context of today. This COVID, mm -hmm. meetings are limited. So can you tell us a little bit about how is COVID changing the way these appointments go? Okay. Well, the first thing, I'm very grateful that in psychiatry, we are able to do a full evaluation through telemedicine. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, in different other um, fields of medicine, it's more difficult. Difficult to. Um, with that said, our organization was able to be online and be able to provide outpatient services in less than a week when the COVID uh, pandemic started and when the lockdowns um, started back in March. So within a week, we were able to start having patients seen virtually through, through the through the internet, okay? Um, 
different in a lot of ways, um, but beneficial in other ways. Um, and when I say that, I think it has improved our ability to see patients that come from far away or for parents to have the ability to do it and not interrupt their daily life as much because either if they are with a patient that their kid at home and they're working, they only have to take half an hour of their day, an hour of their work day to be able to accomplish these appointments and not to go to school, pick them up, go to the appointment and then take them back. That will give them, take them out of the office for half of the day. Okay. Um, so in that way has been extremely beneficial. It also, we have seen that it has improved or show up or show rate um, because most families have a phone with internet capacity that are able to do the virtual appointment. Okay. In other areas, I think it's um, confidentiality has been a big uh, difficulty because if you're in a public place and not in the in the secure place of your home, it's extremely difficult to keep an appointment confidential. Mm -hmm. We encourage the parents before the appointment for you to be able to be in a place that is confidential, even from siblings or other family members, because this is information that it's very um, important to keep private for that patient. Right. And also little things like to make sure that the patients are um, well-dressed. Uh, we have I had some of my long-term patients that they're so comfortable that they forget to put a t-shirt, meaning male teenagers, and we have to remind, their, uh, remind them on all of that. Mm -hmm. This say, I think that medical part of psychiatry that is done in telemedicine I think it's mostly able to be done. When it comes to difficulty, I think it's when you are trying to do more a therapeutic approach. It's difficult to engage a, a patient for half an hour, 20 minutes, 45 minutes in this kind of setting, okay? Especially mm -hmm. in younger kids that are difficult to, to engage in electronics, um, that they get distracted easily in environments around the house as well as teenagers, older teenagers, or teenagers that are having a difficult time of, with their anxiety and depression, that they have a hard time engaging in this kind of situation that it's online, and they have the ability to disconnect easily from, from the interview, mm. okay? So that has, those are definitely challenges. Um, so we are hoping to get our patients back full-time in our office as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and you, you mentioned some of the challenges. Uh, have you seen some differences in outcomes as well? Well, I think in outcomes, I think it's not that much about the interview, but mostly about the pandemic itself. I think part of the pandemic, we have lost contact with some of our patients. Mm. Either they have moved or they don't have access to the internet that we have not been able to see. So that's difficult. Um, I think also with the pandemic, the challenges that mental health is having is that they have been at home for so long that patients with severe anxiety, severe mood, kind of that transition back to the school setting has been extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. Patients with difficulty with severe aggression have a hard time transitioning back to the school setting or even engaging in school through remote learning. 
Um, I can say this through my personal um, experience with my two kids at home. Remote learning is extremely difficult for any kids. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's some kids that are definitely being lost in the system, especially kids that are, do very well academically, that their standard has been lowered. Also, the kids that have more difficulty with that need special education services, um, a speech therapy, occupational therapy that sometimes they receive through the school system, that those services have been lost and these patients are um, not having the services they need. Mm -hmm. I, I will say that I have a very high uh, expectation and, and I think highly about the teachers and the school system trying to arrange all of this in, in this difficult time. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we can definitely think about them because there are lots of uh, challenges to, to manage as well. So thank you. Uh, I want to remind our audience that if you have any questions, please uh, don't you can at any time you can uh, add them to the chat and then we'll be review them, reviewing them uh, and, and asking them to Dr. GV uh, as much of them as I can. Um, another question, so you, you work both in the field of outpatient and inpatient, serving clarity, the inpatient side of clarity. What would you say is a difference in terms of expectation for the parent, for the parent doctor relationship between the two? Okay. Well, I think um, there's dif there's difference, of course. When we when we have a patient in the hospital, is because they are in acute, severe, stressful situation, and mostly it's for safety safety and treatment, right? And um, in the hospital setting, we work as a team. Okay. So the psychiatrist is the main person, but we have the therapist, the nursing, the mental health workers. We have case management and utilization management, and we all work as a team, okay? One of the things that we think about when we talk about hospitalization, and if a patient, for example, is admitted to a medical hospitalization, usually the parent is there 24-7 with the kid, especially if it's a younger kid. For example, if a patient gets admitted for asthma or diabetes to the hospital, usually there's a caregiver that stays there with the in, 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 with the hospital, with the patient. When the doctor goes sees them, they are able to talk to them one-on-one -on -one because the doctor shows up and they don't know at what time they're going to show up. That's one of the limitations in inpatient psychiatry is that the patients are here and the parents are not because of our modality of treatment. So the communication with the psychiatrist will not be one-on-one -on -one like in the medical hospital, but it will be through the treatment team. That doesn't mean that they will not have ability to communicate with the psychiatrist. Of course, that communication is always there, but the first person to talk to in the inpatient psychiatrist model is with the therapist. That is the person communicating with the psychiatrist in a daily manner, and that communicates with the third, with the family in a daily manner, meaning that they're arranging family sessions and 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 getting more communication as well as the nursing. For example, today this morning I go in to see uh, one, uh, one of my units in the hospital, and one of my nurses that he's wonderful, Louis, gives me okay. This is what's going on with each patient. These are the concerns. This parent has this question. I can answer this one, but this parent really wants to talk to you to get a little bit more idea. And I was able to talk to that parent on the phone um, this morning. Right. So, so in other words, 
the, the, the communication with the parents in the context of our inpatient is not, not systematic with the psychiatrist. It's systematic with a therapist, which represents the entire team and is in constant communication with the team members, but it's not necessarily going to happen systematically. And I think that that's important. It's, it's an expectation yeah. that's a little different from a, from other type of, of medical care. Yeah, and, and it's a, a treatment tip approach. Yeah, yeah. In outpatient, of course, the parents are bringing the kid in, so they have that one-on-one -on -one with the psychiatrist for their appointment. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly What um, other advice would you give to parents in terms of COVID and, um, you know, this, this time, really, uh, especially parents yeah. who, who are maybe either they're already studying uh, psychiatry or they're, they're thinking about it? What, what would be a general advice you would, would like to give them? Well, I think with COVID, I think some parents, like yesterday, I had an initial evaluation in my clinic with a, 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 a new patient. For me, the family was not new for me because I see the older siblings. Um, but the mom was able to tell me, you know what? I never thought I had this difficulty with my kid, but having them at home and me trying to teach them, right? And be the, pers the first person there with them, I'm noticing these things. So I think this time of COVID that is so difficult and so many changes have brought us in some way that increased time with our loved ones and our kids mm -hmm. to be more involved in their education and in their care, okay? With that said, I will say, let's give grace to all of us to try to work with all these changes in society and, and everything. I think that we need to give grace to us when we are um, studying, trying to teach someone to read or trying to teach them how to do math. For example, my husband, I'm really good at math. My husband has more, it's really good at literature. So we tag team in those. And sometimes I have to tell my fifth grader, you know what, let's wait there. I need to read a little bit more about this because I don't remember. Yeah, because I haven't seen it in a while. So right. I think kind of having ourselves giving grace um, and, and time because we need to be patient with ourselves as as at all because this is not supposed to be this way. Yeah, yeah. it is. It is. It is happened. And and every every family situation is different. So mm -hmm. also understanding that you know whatever is going on with us, you know a lot of other people might experience it, but other people have a, maybe a very different experience. So exactly. You know that's important. Well, we have a, a question from an from the audience. Uh, a parent is asking that, that they they have a situation that uh, they have currently. Uh, they're trying to seek uh, services, psychiatrists or psychologists services, but uh, all the providers on their insurance actually have uh, are not accepting patients. Which is a unfortunately that can be a situation because of you know the the limited amount that our number of of providers uh, and uh, and so what other services could be available to a family in this situation uh, if they did self-pay what what can they expect can you, mm -hmm. can you help, uh, help with that yeah so in the in the field of child psychiatry i think that's the most difficult part of it that the demand is higher to what the psychiatrist's ability to see patients um, for example, our clinic, we have five psychi child psychiatrists, that is a really high number, 
but our limitations to take new patients is really low because we also forward the inpatient um, hospital. With that say, Clarity Outpatient Services is, is being um, serviced by UT San Antonio, the psychiatry department, okay? And we have a variety of, cis, of, of, um, of services. So we have the psychologist, the therapist, and the psychiatrist. One of the things that I always recommend to anyone that asks me this question is to check with your provider, meaning your insurance provider to see who, who's taking it, okay? And then making a few phone calls. With Clarity, what you can do is to try to get an appointment with First Step that they're more available before getting into seeing the psychiatrist. This gives you an evaluation by the psychologist, and then they are able to route you to the services needed. Because sometimes maybe the school is saying you need to see the psychiatrist or the pediatrician is saying you need to see the psychiatrist, but when we see them and evaluate the patient, they do not need medication management at that point, and maybe that first step will be therapy. So I think for maybe using uh, or service of the first step clinic to be able to engage in, in, in treatment. And I think the phone number, Gerard, will give it later, but it's 210-616-0300. Yes, I was, I was trying to, to uh, add that to the chat. I don't know if it went through, uh, but I put the, yeah. But the, the phone number, so 210-616-0300. And do ask for the first step appointment and the team will determine if you uh, qualify for this, but we have a regular uh, spot, slot for, for this appointment for parents. Again, to determine determine exactly, you know, what does the child mean and need? And it's a, a, a meeting with psychologists, with the family, several members, and, uh, and you can read more about it on our website as well. I put the website as well. So, okay. And, and adding to that, Gerard, I want also to, to uh, comment that when we have an acute situation that you need to get the patient seen immediately because of safety concerns, maybe some suicidal thoughts, maybe some concerns about um, self-injurious behavior or aggression, or services is 24-7 at the hospital. Right. You can be evaluated by a psychiatrist or a therapist, and they will uh, uh, assist you on getting as well as services if inpatient admission is not needed. Um, sometimes when the patients come to our crisis assessment, they do not need inpatient treatment, but they cannot wait a month or a month and a half to see the psychiatrist, and they need more um, on a daily visit and we have a partial hospitalization program as well as a service that they will be able to get seen by the psychiatrist the therapist and get them um that treatment that they need more emergently yeah you, you you make a great point is that don't wait if you feel like there's a crisis and you need to see someone you can call uh, or you can even show up uh, and, and look for the signs for crisis services and uh and and then someone will will talk to you so that's that's key I have another question from a professional uh, asking, as mental health professionals, how can we make the practice of telehealth better for our clients? Ah, that's, I, I think that this, I, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not the most technical savvy person. And um, I will say I dislike seeing my patients in the computer, but this has brought up opening or interventions so much that I think this will continue to be 
part of the services every psychiatrist should give. Okay, um, especially time constraints. It's extremely difficult for kids to miss school or be away from school that a whole afternoon or her morning. So telepsych uh, services um, like this week, I have one of my patients I have seen for a long time that mom picked up the kid from school. We did that interview from their car and then the kid, uh, I was able to talk to the nurse in person and then the kid went back to, to, their, to their class. So I think it improves kind of that access also. Um, places that are far away from San Antonio or places that do not have a psychiatric. I have patients that drive multiple hours to come to San Antonio to see me that they're enjoying a lot to be able to have this service. Also, um, older teenagers that are already in college, this has also improved that communication because they are in their dorms or in their apartments and they are able to get the appointment done especially on patients that are having a hard time, we are able to maybe give them a smaller um, period of time during the day, but we are able to evaluate them through the computer system, telemedicine, and provide those services. I think it's really interesting. It's really gonna change the field in some ways, right? Mm -hmm. and, 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 and possibly in good ways. The one thing there too, I think, I mean, we're set up so that it's, Security, security of, of of the of the core, right? And uh, so that's an essential point, of course, uh, to consider as a, as a provider, making sure that uh, that uh, core is a, is a secure and private uh, private core. So, so that's a that's a good question. Now, another question that uh, comes up often is is how do you select a child psychiatrist? Okay, well. Again, I think psychiatrists, the best, uh, I'm sorry, the best way to select a psychiatrist is for you to do your research. Okay. Like in this era that we can, we're going to look for someone to fix our car or for a hairdresser that we do our research in the internet and we read the comments. I think that's uh, a, a good way to do it. Kind of doing the research where they study um if it's a female or a male but at the end time i think it will take it takes a few appointments with the psychiatrist to see if that's a good fit like with any um therapeutic approach that it takes around a few a, a few sessions to make sure that you're able to to engage okay with this said i think in psychiatry especially in child psychiatry we see our kids so often for example, I have been in this clinic for eight years and I have seen kids for eight years. So I see them from elementary school, middle school, graduating high school, entering college, and you help them through those phases. So you become part of their family somehow. Mm. And it's not only when the kid is having some difficulty, it's when the whole family is having some sort of difficulty that you, you become part of of, of that treatment. Um, it's a very intrinsic um, relationship, okay? Very similar to a pediatrician that yeah. you, you keep your pediatrician for several years. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great, that's great. Now, uh, and I wanna remind our audience, we have time for one, one or two more questions if you uh, make sure you put, post them in the chat. One question I think that is also common is uh, there are fears about seeing a psychiatrist for the first time. 
can can you discuss what those fears are and and what uh, yeah, what would you tell parents about that? Well, I think um, psychiatry um, through the years, right, has been a profession and and a specialty that it's somehow marginalized because of what they will say or or what other people will have that the communication um and with that said i think that this has changed a lot through the years okay because i first of all a psychiatric interview and a psychiatric evaluation will be completely confidential so the persons that will know is the persons that need to know that the patient is having that treatment for getting consent for that information to go out right it will be up to the patient and up to the parent uh, or the guardian if, if they want us to communicate with their school or any other entity even for us to be able to talk to the pediatrician to send them records okay so i think the first few appointments sometimes it's a little bit difficult and it gets better as um, things go one of the difficulties that we do see especially if we have a patient that has had to go to inpatient admission and then to see the psychiatrist or just a patient is that the patient feels that every time they go to see the psychiatrist is because they're doing something bad or erroneous. Mm. And it's because that interview is that's what it's been taught. So I think that's part of that relationship with the psychiatrist to address that miscommunication and that uncomfort feeling of the patient or the parent of, of this kind of treatment. Yeah, I think that's a really great point is the, the idea that, you know, you're not going to see a psychiatric because you're in trouble or are you, this is, you're doing something wrong. It's, it's like, it's, you're seeing a, a medical doctor because there's something that needs to be adjusted and you need help, um, just like you had another disease. And I, I think that, and we'll have time to one more question really that is actually uh, relevant to that because uh, I think I have even a couple of questions that are very similar about that is, is how do you talk to a teenager that re is refusing to talk and to your parent or your teacher and uh, or counselor and you want the child see the child needs help uh, you know how do you how, how would you tell them uh, talk to that child to uh, to you know open him up to being to to get help and yeah so i think this is one of the most difficult parts of therapy right it's when the patient is not ready to engage in the therapy mm. parents or the people around them feel that they need treatment but the patient is not ready to engage and that's what takes time okay so what i will say is don't give up okay i think you have to put it in a medical context if you had asthma you will be going to your doctor if you had the flu, you will be going to your doctor to get it addressed or you have a broken bone. This is to address, okay? Also, what I always tell my teenagers is that we're going to do this together, okay? Some part of the interview with a psychiatrist will still be confidential even from the parents um, to include drugs, alcohol, things that are not a major in threat to them at that point it will be confidential and we will help the patient get to the point to address this with the parents. It takes time and that's where seeing also a therapist comes hand in hand because the therapist will be seeing this patient more often, usually in a weekly manner, even twice a week. So they get used to it and sometimes silence in a therapy 
is truly beneficial, that it's truly uncomfortable for everyone, but the patient just sitting there engaging with the therapist will be beneficial. With this as with COVID, what we have seen and me talking to my counterpart, the therapist in outpatient services, is that the teenagers are really enjoying doing therapy online. Mm. This is the way they communicate. So they feel that they are able to engage in some way better to their therapist because somehow there's something there that it's safeguarding them. So I will say, make the appointment. If the patient is refusing, talk to the psychiatrist first, see if they can see just the parents, even if it, if it's the, the patient is not present at that point, and then you go from there, at least to get some communication and some um, um, pointers to get to the point that we need to. Well, that's very helpful advice, especially the idea that, yeah, you, I cannot bring my child, but, but having a conversation, that could be tremendously helpful. So, so thank you for that. We have one, one, we have one more question. I think you already answered, which is about you know, how, how to, to uh, help a child talk about their feeling. And that's really, it takes more time. And that's really where the, in the context of the therapy, I think the, our, our approach is to, you know, like always as much as possible have psychiatry and therapy work hand in hand. So that's a, that's a way we, we would answer that. And that's a, we're in the field of the area of, of, uh, of the, the psychologist or psychiatrist. <laughs> To, to help the child with this thing. So we, we're out of time, but thank you so much, uh, Dr. Gonzalez-Vega again for, uh, for this great uh, information. And uh, thank you everybody for, for joining us. See you next week. Thanks for joining us. Please visit our website, claritycgc.org for more children's mental health tips, tricks, and resources. See you next time. <laughs>